Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Americans spend an average of $61 billion a year on diet products. The average woman tries 61 diets by the time she is 45 years old. 97% of those who manage to lose weight gain it back within three years, and then some. Worldwide, about 42% of adults are trying to lose weight, and 23% are trying to maintain their weight. Stay tuned to hear all about that on The Reluctant Historian. I'm Liz Lawson, and this is our Reluctant Historian. Dakota the Sick. <laughs> Dakota the Sick. This is the podcast where I try to show my husband that history is actually cool. So, if you love history... Or you absolutely hate it. This podcast is for you. We would like to begin by recognizing that we are recording on Tree Six territory and the homeland of the Métis Nation. We make this acknowledgement in recognition that we are settlers here on the land that belongs to the many different First Nations of Canada. All right, so you kind of have an unfair advantage, Dakota, but guesses about today's topic? Well, to be fair, you did tell me what it was going to be That's why I said unfair yesterday, advantage. but but also, uh, I think I'd be able to make an, an educated <laughs> guess. There was no mystery to that. I know. Well, I didn't, yeah. <laughs> it was just, here, we're going to talk about diets. Yes. Which uh, I, I am interested in because, yeah. uh, you know, diets just generally don't work. Yes, sir. And, um, and it's kind of a fucked up whole system that the world has created to make money so yeah yeah Yeah, so this week i wanted to talk about something that is near and dear to my heart uh but not near to dear near to dear near to dear near and dear to my heart in a positive way it's in a negative way uh this week i wanted to talk about uh the truth about diets so actually we're doing a two-parter we're going to do the history of diets this week and then we're going to do the truth about diets next week um some of y'all might be thinking this isn't a history topic well stay tuned folks put on your seat belts <laughs> because the history of diets is a thing um and then next week maybe i mean like we're looking at research that was done historically so it is historic you don't need to like sell this to the audience this is our podcast we do whatever the fuck we want and that's our true. listeners will take it that's true that's true yeah um yeah so next week we're going to talk about uh common misunderstandings about diets how society today perceives diets and fat people um and the things that happened in like the 50s 60s and 70s and the bad science well it's not even science but bad marketing uh that we're going to get into next week so if you're really interested in the topic, there's a podcast called Maintenance Phase, which does a phenomenal job of tackling a number of different diets from Weight Watchers to Jenny Craig to Atkins to Juice Cleanses. Um, they go very in-depth. I'm not going to be doing that because this is just a two-off episode. Yeah, yeah. Impolite Society also did an episode on... Oh, did they? Uh, oh, we're copycats. Well, you you didn't know. I, I was, didn't. When you told me, I was like, oh, you're a shill. But... Uh, <laughs> They did an episode on a uh, uh, little different. It's like, what was the what was the question? It was like, uh, why you can't ask how much somebody weighs? I'm oh, pretty yeah. sure. Was it why do people hate fat people? Was that the question? I don't think so. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it was uh, just about um, you know, yeah. It, it's such a taboo topic to talk about somebody's mm. w- weight and like mm. ask that question. You know? Yeah. Fair. So yeah. 
What's your golden nugget? Oh, well, as I led into with my introduction, I'm now Dakota the Sick. So it's not a golden nugget. It's a lump of coal. I know. You poor baby. <laughs> I'm sick for the first time in two and a half years. Uh, if, you know, uh, masks have been great for the sense they that really have i haven't got sick in the longest ever yeah i uh, so apparently i don't have covid uh, i mean i've done th- tested you th- so much i've done three rapid tests which aren't 100 percent, but like i don't know going off those apparently i don't have covid mm-hmm. but i just have uh, a man cold so i'm uh which actually like are, is is a real thing like not trying to be gendered and shit here but like men actually experience colds more uh, negatively than women do because you have a lower pain tolerance, apparently. Really? Oh, but yes. is it like due to the baby thing? I think so. Because you guys are just like built to just take pain. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that is, yeah, women built to take pain. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's it, so. Uh, so, yeah, I'm uh, just, uh, kind of feel like crap. Yeah, <laughs> so after this, baby. I'm just going to. Go lay in bed and uh, lounge Yeah, that's for the good. day. What about you? Do you have a golden nugget? I do. Yeah, I had to write it down so that I wouldn't forget. But my golden nugget is in quarter four, I get to teach history again. Ooh, that's So exciting. maybe I can just take two months off and I won't have to teach you history. <laughs> two months <laughs> off this podcast? I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do yeah, that for I mean, listeners. I, but <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I'm whatever about it but (laughs) gotta do it for the listeners we do so like doing this podcast i I enjoy it yes uh but what um like in person or on yeah so in person i told you this didn't i i don't always listen (laughs) so you could have but for the sake of argument no i've never heard this in my life okay you're you're the you're the bad person in this situation because you didn't tell me that's right yes so i will be teaching history 10 to eal students in quarter four in the afternoon so two hours of history every day uh, for those who don't know english is a second language additional language additional language eal english as uh i guess it'd be e-a-a-l e-a-a-a-l English as an additional. A-A-A. E-triple-A-L. L. <laughs> Which sounds cooler. It okay, does. additional it's language. I yeah. thought it was English as a second language. Well, saying that it's their second language is kind of rude, I guess. I don't know what the right word I want to use there because it could be the fifth language that they're learning. <laughs> how, <laughs> me, me coming from that perspective, it's like, how dare you insinuate that this is only my second language? This is my fifth language. You have brought dishonor on my family dishonor on your cow yeah like like why why would that be so horrible that i don't know we have to we have to like like i'm all for being politically correct and stuff well am i, no, I mean, the way i talk and stuff but like in truth i do believe that you know people deserve to be treated the way that they want to be treated as much as i joke about stuff but like uh you know tiptoeing around that that's like <laughs> That's fucking stupid. <laughs> well, it is what it is. It in is certain it is. places, it's, yeah. it's still ESL, so. Okay. But we here in Saskatchewan call it E-A-L. Ah, uh, yes. Anyways, that's exciting. Yeah. What, are, what What grade are Grade you 10, so French Revolution. We're gonna your talk favorite. About that's yes. your favorite, right? Yes. yes. I knew that one. <laughs> you did. We're going to talk about imperialism cool. and all that cool stuff. So, yeah, I'm excited. I am excited. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, that's 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 awesome. I'm glad, you, I'm glad for you. This is completely new information to me, so. <laughs> Yeah. Probably. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, so being overweight has culturally been seen as a moral issue, and much of the science around obesity is obscured by misconceptions as to why people struggle with their weight. As a culture, we have placed so much emphasis on weight loss that we have created a huge industry that thrives off repeat customers. It is no wonder that diets don't work, and despite that, the majority of overweight people are made to feel inferior and unattractive. They face discrimination in the job market, and the world is just not built for us. Think, for example, of how fat people need to get seatbelt extenders in order to just be able to fly in a plane. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's shitty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I just, I guess, like a little, when people, um, skinny people, often you'll see online get upset. They're like, ah, people tell me to eat a burger. Da, 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 da. It's the same thing as being shamed for being fat. It's really not because the world is built for thin people. That's good. Because so, I used to, I used to, granted I was younger, but I would uh, jokingly shame my cousin about she needs to eat a sandwich. Mm-mm. So Yeah, it's still not okay to do that, Dakota. What? Shame is not okay. <laughs> I thought you were telling me that it was okay. <laughs> no, I'm just saying um, in terms of fat phobia and how like fat positivity and body positivity, I mean, it does fit in with uh, not shaming thin people as well, mm-hmm. but there's this whole misconception that it's the same to say that for that thin people have it just as bad as fat people but it's not because you know i can't sit in some chairs because i'm too fat for them so no no thin person has that problem that's true anyways here we go so where does this all come from and why is diet culture so pervasive I'm going to look at a bit of the history and talk about how science and medicine has been horribly influenced by culture and society and not the scientific facts. And that's going to be in the next episode. When I talk about diets in this episode, I'm talking along the lines of fad diets such as keto or intermittent fasting, and I'm not talking about a healthy way to eat. So uh, the word diet can be kind of interchangeable. Like I diet really just means like, what am I eating? But when I'm speaking of diets in this, I'm talking about things that people do to specifically lose weight. Right. Starting with the early Greeks and Romans, who believed that if you had a healthy body, you also had a healthy mind. To them, being fat was not only ugly, but it was a sign of mental unbalance. In fact, the Greeks were hugely into fitness, and wealthy people would sometimes spend up to eight hours a day working out in a gymnasium. Ooh, that's not, that's not healthy at all. <laughs> no, uh, and usually naked. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine me just going to the going to the gym and be like, uh, you know, I'm going to do like the Greeks do and just go in my, in my skivvies? Not skivvies. You're fully nude. Oh, is what skivvies? Your underwear. Oh, okay. Then my birthday suit, I suppose. <laughs> and just be like, and when people are appalled, I just go, it's okay. I'm Greek. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to go for eight hours a day. Going for eight hours a day. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, I mean, I, there was a point I took uh creatine yes and i'm i'm terrible with uh i don't drink coffee or any caffeine really so creatine uh it just um or no was it creatine no 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 sorry not creatine it was a uh, pre-workout mm. so pre-workout just basically is just like a bunch of caffeine yeah and i took it and then i went to, <laughs> i went to the gym i worked out for three hours yep. i came home and i cleaned my house <laughs> and then at like six i just was a bump on the log. I yeah. crashed so fucking hard. Yeah. So uh, be careful when you use pre-workout <laughs> is what I'm saying. That's fair. Yeah. Hippocrates, a Greek physician whom the Hippocratic Oath is named after, believed that fat people suffered from unhealthy sleep, aches, pains, flatulence, and constipation, and recommended that they follow a strict diet, increase their exercise, and vomit. Oh, 
Oh, he he's the one that coined that? <laughs> that you should throw up after you eat? Yeah. So actually they had, I think it was the Romans, they used to have these things called vomitorians. So they could eat as much as they wanted. Yeah. And then they were like, oh, I'm, I want to eat more food. So I'm just going to throw up what I ate so I can keep eating. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Wait, vomitorium, is that a place? Is that a, is that a building you just go into and throw up? And eat, yes. You eat, it's a place you can go and eat. It's like a restaurant. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure. I'm not fully knowledgeable of my vomitoriums. Like, 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 uh, you go up, um, you go in and you order your food, and they, you say you want like this big greasy burger, and they go, oh yes, that will that will be really good coming out too. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> so. The Greek ideal body, however, was bigger than what we consider ideal today. In fact, the Venus de Milo would be five foot seven inches. Why did I type it like that? <laughs> She'd be five foot seven and she would weigh 171 pounds. So that's okay. heavier than what we would consider ideal today. Oh, right. Well, I like, sorry, this is for a female body? A we. Why? <laughs> yes. Okay. Is that, <laughs> is that your second language? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, 170 pounds. Well, okay, okay, here's a question because I don't actually know. On the female body, what is the typical, like, this is a fit body weight well, so if we've think, been told. So if you think about Kim Kardashian, she weighs, I think, about 105 or maybe 120. No, she's not 120 no. pounds. She's about 105 pounds. How? Because she's like, well, she's only 5'2". No, but she, doesn't she have like a, like a, this isn't fat shaming. This is like, I remember the, the picture above, of her, the badonkadon. Yeah, so she's got implants. Yeah, implants. do they not weigh anything? <laughs> well, I don't know. But um, like did, I just of, I just thought that butt would weigh something, well, you know. Yeah, but the rest of her has no weight on her body. Like she doesn't have like any fat really? on her body. Apparently, I haven't seen a picture of Kim Kardashian in a long time because yeah. I I thought that she was not a not a. I thought she was like had a little bit of meat on her bones, you know. Yeah, she has meat where it's like quote unquote supposed to be, but everywhere else on her body is no fat. Really? Yeah. Huh. Oh, I, clearly I know nothing about the Kardashians. <laughs> I need <laughs> to keep up thing. with them. You used to keep up with them? No, I need to keep up I with guess. them. <laughs> yeah. Moving on to a Christian viewpoint, many Christians believe that the physical body was the enemy of the soul. St. Anthony, St. Augustine, St. Jerome, and St. Basil all struggled with food issues, sometimes starving themselves to be more holy. Their visions, like actual visions, may have been a result of anorexia mirabilis, or otherwise known as holy anorexia. In fact, this was also an issue that plagued nunneries, too, when the women in those places would refuse to eat as a way to become closer to Christ. One example, St. Catherine of Siena, took it to an extreme. When her parents wanted her to marry her sister's widower, she refused to eat in order to get out of that. She began to eat only communion wafers, although she would lick the pus from the wounds of the poor. What? Yeah, apparently it was this thing that just, sometimes saints would do. Just I don't... lick it and be like, oh, that tastes so good. It was like I've been a... eating it in three days. <laughs> it was like a... Like a way of showing humility, like, I will serve you, sick person. And God's up there just going, what the fuck? (laughs) I did it. This isn't in the Bible. And also, Stop. uh, What? Was that bad? No, that's what God's saying. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But like, fair, because I often tell you to stop. (laughs) True. I was like, (laughs) I was like, that wasn't even that bad. But like, really, does, how do they think that translates like the bible or whatever like and and you know well, i mean jesus wasn't like and you must lick the wounds of the lepers no and, and if he does it was a prank because that <laughs> joke that guy was a jokester he really was. i tell you yeah eventually saint catherine became so sick that she could no longer even swallow water 
Ugh. On February 26, 1380, her legs stopped functioning and she died of starvation on April 26th. And as a fun prank, that you know, because Jesus was a prankster, mm-hmm. he sent her to hell. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha, bitch. <laughs> in the Renaissance, attitudes in the Western world became more secular and therefore a bit looser, so less focused on Jesus. Right. But it was still considered immoral to be overweight, especially because most people did not have enough to eat. And the first actual diet book came out around this time, in 1558. Really? That old? Yeah, and it's still in print. Oh, interesting. I'm, I'm sure you get into why what that diet was, but yeah. I'm very interested in that. The author, Luigi Conaro, was an... <laughs> You need to eat all of my pasta. <laughs> ...was an overweight Italian who had an epiphany when he was around 40 years old. Tired of being overweight, feeling out of control, and unable to have sex... He limited himself to 12 ounces of food a day, which visually is about four decks of playing cards, and then 14 ounces of wine. His book was called The Art of Living Long, and it advised others to do the same as him. In fact, Luigi lived to be about almost 100 years old. Did he lose weight through this? Yep. Really? Yep. Another diet book from the Renaissance is called The Fruits, Herbs, and Vegetables of Italy, and it is also still in print. In it, the author criticized the English for eating too much meat and sugar and promoted the Italian way of eating fresh vegetables. His book was a forerunner to today's popular Mediterranean diet. In the mid-1800s, the ideal of both masculine and feminine beauty was thin and romantic. In the Victorian era, the promise of quick but not necessarily long-lasting results took off through newspapers. Starting in the 1800s, people began adopting diets to change their appearances. Uh, so the original source me- material said that uh, they wanted to improve their appearances, but I don't want to say that because I think that that's like really um, a weighted, <laughs> a weighted <laughs> phrase <laughs> to imply. Good it Im- one. <laughs> it implies that losing weight is improving one's imper- appearance, and I don't agree with that. So for sure, I changed it to change their appearances instead of improve. But anyways, here we go. Uh, In the 1800s, one of the earliest and most famous dieters at the time may have been Lord Byron. So this was news to me. Uh, Who popularized a vinegar and water diet in 1820, where he would drink water with vinegar several times a day. Gross. Yeah. Reading his story is actually really sad. uh, But essentially, he was horrified by the fact that he had gained weight. And so he put himself on a shockingly strict diet where he would eat biscuits and soda water or potatoes drenched in vinegar. He would wear woolly layers to sweat off pounds, and he measured himself obsessively. Then he would binge on huge meals and finish them off with a large dose of magnesia, which is a laxative. Oh, so he would just eat and then shit. Yes, so he had a clear eating disorder. I I mean, I I would prefer to shit than puke, so maybe he's onto something. Maybe. In order to suppress his hunger, he smoked cigars, and by 1822, he had starved himself into such a poor state of health that he said his dieting was the cause of more than half our maladies, and the hour being our ro- the royal hour. I don't I don't understand that sentence. What is maladies? And what is like sicknesses? So so the diet was the cause of it. Yes, you're saying you got it. Okay, you could just say that. <laughs> well, I was quoting what he said. <laughs> oh well, well socks like fucking Shakespeare apparently. Yeah, because he's a poet. Well, fuck him. <laughs> Anyways. Interestingly, because Byron was a huge cultural influencer, apparently they had those in the 1820s. (laughs) (laughs) Hey guys, I got a new diet regimen. Uh, You're going to try, you see this potato? You're just going to throw a bunch of vinegar on it. Mm. Yep. So he was a huge cultural influencer. There was a great deal of worry about the effect Byron's dieting was having on the youth of the day, which I was like, what? (laughs) Yeah, anyways. So one doctor actually spoke out against what... uh, lord byron was doing because lots of people were 
restricting themselves to vinegar and rice because they wanted to look thin and pale like Lord Byron. Today, a variation of Lord Byron's diet, the apple cider vinegar diet, is still around, where you drink one tablespoon of apple cider vinegar in water before every meal. The 19th century brought us our first low-carb diet book, the first diet diary, and the first scientific research on metabolism. In 1825, a book titled The Physiology of Taste or Meditations on Transcendental Transcendental Gastronomy was written, in which it argued that fat is not a disease but a lamentable result of an inclination to which we give way. Essentially, if you're fat, it's because you're not trying hard enough. Oh, damn. In this book, it was recommended that fat people must give up bread and flour-based foods, eat only fruits, vegetables, and lean meats, thus becoming the forerunner for diets like Atkins, South Beach, Paleo, Caveman, and other low-carb regimes. But bread is so good. I know. In 1830, Sylvester Graham, inventor of the Graham Cracker, wrote that fat is bad for your health and makes you corrupt morally and sexually promiscuous. So I just want to stop there and say that uh, I think the most important thing we learned today is that that's where the Graham Cracker name comes from. (laughs) (laughs) I never really thought about it. I've never sat and thought, why is this called the Graham Cracker as I'm making a s'more? But now you know. That's interesting. Yeah. Anyways. I I think also he created it. And I could be wrong here. I feel like he was a Puritan and... Part of the, part of some of those people believe that um, like you should eat very bland food, right? And so the graham cracker was like a way to stop people from getting excited about their food and oh. then thus getting excitable. Sorry, I, I have a quick aside. Yes, um, the the cornflakes were yeah. originally designed to be a similar thing. They yes. were like, you know this already? Yeah, you tell it. What? You oh, tell it. oh yeah, I can't remember exactly, but it was like. People are, I think they were like fornicating too much or something like that. Yeah, well, fat people are sexually promiscuous, so. Well, it's true. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, but but uh, he just thought people were enjoying life too much or something. Yeah. And uh, am I getting this right? I think so. Yeah, and he uh, created cornflakes, which is not the same recipe we have today. It, it, now it has sugar and shit in it. But back in the day, it was much more bland. Mm. And he's like... This will stop them from having fun or something, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. That's around the same, like Kellogg's. Yeah. Um, and the Graham Cracker guy, like they're all kind of the same cloth. So yeah, you're right. Yeah. Okay, so let's back up a little bit. The, this, uh, what was his name? Stephen Graham. Sylvester Graham. Sylvester Stallone Graham. He did what? He created Graham Crackers, and that he wrote, uh, "Fat is bad for your health, makes you corrupt morally and sexually promiscuous." Yeah, that's. Uh, I was that's, like, that sounds uh, wha- like fun. Wha- yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so that's the key to being sexually promiscuous. Hey, I just got to get real fat. Yep, that's the one. <laughs> I, wh- why did he like? I'm very interested in the, specifically the sexual promiscuous thing. What backed that up? Did he just like? Was his evidence that he was like? I don't know, riding his buggy or whatever across the street, and he just noticed a lot of overweight prostitutes, <laughs> sex workers, babe. No, it was okay in that time to say that. I'm trying to be, um, for the times, relevant. Historically you know, accurate. Historically accurate. And also, uh, again, another sidebar, I just learned that prostitute isn't okay to say anymore. <laughs> what? I. And you also I, just learned about child sex abuse material instead of child pornography. Yeah. What, <laughs> I'm becoming that old man that it's like, back in my day, we used to call it child porn and... Uh, prostitution not in not together hopefully but well you are an old man now so 
Apparently. Okay, so yeah. back to the this Graham guy. He thought that fat people liked sex too much. Yeah. So I think it comes down to the fact that a lot of people think being overweight is a moral issue and that if you are overweight, you have bad morals and therefore that ties into you just also are a loose person and you have sex with everyone, which is not a bad thing. Let me be clear. Uh, but in that time period, they did not like that. Yeah. So I think that's where the the connection is. I don't... This isn't a great... <laughs> a great joke and i'm like i'm not this just popped into my head okay so okay. bear with me okay because okay. i'm i you know i'm not fat phobic i just make terrible jokes I know. okay so <laughs> in the garden of eden i'm just picturing instead of uh like you a snake being like you can't eat or you here eat the apple be like here i brought some oreos <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. and that's where it started <laughs> yeah probably <laughs> i mean an oreo so good yeah they're the best yes Anyways, Graham advised parents to teach moderate eating as a matter of good morals. Graham also led health retreats where he preached vegetarianism and the avoidance of tea, coffee, tobacco, and alcohol. Hippie. By the 1880s, more and more diet books or pamphlets were being published, and people were buying diet powders, often with useless ingredients in them like lard, which I was like, <laughs> lard would just make fat, so I don't know, and dangerous ones like strychnine. People also bought corsets, creams, laxatives, pills, synthetic hormones, and thyroid extracts, and even took massages to ooze fat from the skin, which doesn't work. This is, this is just, uh, it's crazy that our society is still at a point where they are like this, mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, okay, here's, here's an example. This is an example of me being a fucking dumbass, and okay. I don't think I've ever told you this story before. <laughs> I'm so excited. Well, I don't know. Temperature expectations. I don't think it's amazing. <laughs> but when I was back in my workout days, yep. uh, you know, like when I was hardcore into it, like four years ago, probably mm-hmm. um, my peak of of, uh, of working out, yep. I ordered <laughs> something off online. It was called Ab Cream. Ooh. It, you haven't told me this story. No, no, it didn't work. Uh, really? <laughs> no, it just, you rubbed it on your belly. Yeah. And then it, it just like, it did like a burning sensation. Ah. Uh, kind of uh, akin to, uh, what's the stuff? Tiger bomb. I don't, I don't know what that is. <laughs> but the, the, the cooling thing that you put on. Yeah, tiger bomb. No, is that what it is? Rub 45. Yeah, A45 yeah. Rub. A5, A5, uh, rub A3535. <laughs> uh, that's what it's called. <laughs> And it felt kind of like that. Uh, and my roommates just uh, made fun of me, As rightfully so, <laughs> that it was so stupid. And you, you get, okay, guess how much I spent on this bottle? $99. Oh, no, that's more, more, less. Oh, $69. Okay, <laughs> fi- yeah, uh, $50. Wow. I bought this thing for $50. Yeah. And it did not work. Well, surprise. I know, it's crazy. That is. Uh, and now I'm just at a point in my life where I'm like, what were you I thinking? I like cookies. What was I thinking? When you were like, I want to buy that. Well, like, I'm just curious. Like, I, I'm not trying to, like, be rude here or anything. No, like, no, no. I have struggled with my weight yeah. my entire life. Yeah. And I, but I don't look at these, like, these pills or these diet things. And I'm like, yeah, that's going to work. Like, that doesn't it's, ever go it's through my the, head. It's the promise of a quick fix, right? So you, you, you fell I bought for into the marketing. It. I did. I, oh, okay. I did. I, I bought into it. And, you know, I'm, uh, I like to think that I'm, uh, you know, better than I was at that point. But at that point, uh, having the, and this is something I still struggle with because I haven't, 
I, I kind of stopped working out and I'm not as like quote unquote cut as I used to be, whatever. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I do struggle with, you know, when I've, get, I've gained some weight. So mm-hmm. I'm like, for the first time in my life. So at that point, I was like trying to reach this perfect, in quotes, physical form. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't sustainable at all. Mm-mm. So, uh, you know, I would give into unhealthy uh, promises yeah, that. Tell them about the Soylent. Oh, the Soylent. Okay. Well, okay. Okay. I'm not going to completely shit on Soylent because it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the ins and outs. And of it's the not really of a it. diet. No, but product. there's there's this thing called Soylent, which is essentially a powder that you mix with water or milk and it can sustain you. It, it actually can sustain you. I don't know the health ramifications on doing this forever, but you could just drink it for every meal and be full mm-hmm. I, and there it's supposed to give you every nutrient you need again i i i don't want to speak to the science behind it because i don't know but but you bought it i, I bought it and, and i've uh, done it a lot and, and uh w- without any the fl- flavor the the bland kind it's essentially just like drinking pancake pancake mix and uh so you got to put a banana and some cinnamon in there to make mm-hmm. it actually a lot better but uh yeah like, you didn't buy it to like lose weight you just don't like eating sometimes yeah i i just would rather you know in spy kids when they just take a pill and they put it on a plate and, and, and put it in the microwave it turns into a burger yeah. i want that fucking life me too <laughs> i don't want to have to you know we, we recently started getting into uh vegetarian cooking yeah and uh mostly because meat's fucking expensive yes. it's not because we're goddamn hippies <laughs> not that we think vegetarians are hippies don't speak for me dear okay so <laughs> uh i don't know i don't know where i was going with this it's a lot of work to make vegetarian it's a meals. lot of work to like, make you vegetarian. Have to cut up all the vegetables yeah and... it's like i was sick yesterday and i was making i had to cut up so much shit and stuff like that and it ended up being too spicy for me so yeah. i didn't even get to eat the enchiladas yeah so but how about been... them enchiladas <laughs> but the food's been good i've been enjoying it, does. it. yeah yeah it's actually and so much cheaper oh yeah we've been saving so much money yeah it's wild yes okay back to the research (laughs) that was a big tangent it really was uh yeah in 1833 a doctor invited invented a belt driven fat massager that would be wrapped around the body to jiggle fat away oh kind of like my ab ab cream (laughs) (laughs) kind of it was touted to even cure Mm -hmm. gout arthritis nervous exhaustion ladies ailments like periods yeah. you don't get periods anymore? i don't know how it would work and would just make life worth living again oh what? is that what he said <laughs> apparently oh god yeah. uh, <laughs> that's depressing uh so curing this stuff did he have any evidence to support no. this no yeah no so all of these items i just mentioned way back when all the creams and stuff went on to solidify dieting's place in modern society as well as bolstering the diet industry because as we know the diet industry is a hugely full of cucks. Yes. Also, they make a lot of money. Yes. You know, diet industry wouldn't work if people lost weight and then yeah. Kept if it everyone off. was skinny, if everyone did the diet, became skinny, and stayed like that, the industry would die. <laughs> exactly. So it depends on repeat customers. Yeah. The first diet that had mass appeal was created by an English undertaker named William Banting. Like most dieters, he had tried everything to lose weight, including eating lighter foods, swimming, spas, and laxatives. He finally lost 50 pounds on a diet that he invented himself and went on to publish a pamphlet called Letter on Corpulence. 
It sold thousands of copies all over the world, so much that the term I am banting meant I am on a diet. <laughs> I'm banting. <laughs> yes. One of the weirdest fad diets to date was called Fletcherism and was popular in the United States and England around 1905 through to the mid-1930s. Many famous and intelligent people were Fletchers, such as John D. Rockefeller, Franz Kafka, and John Kellogg of the Kellogg Serials. Mm. Fletcherism came to us by way of an insurance problem. You see, Horace Fletcher, an art dealer in San Francisco, was too fat to qualify for insurance. So he invented his own weight loss plan. He lost 40 pounds by chewing every mouthful he took 32 times, oh. or once for each tooth, and then spitting out the rest. Oh. So bulimia. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Later, he refined the Fletcher method to chewing until the food is completely liquid, Ugh. or at least 100 times. He took pride in the fact that he only pooped twice a month, and <laughs> that his poop was no more offensive than wet clay, and had no more order than a hot biscuit. That's so unhealthy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Munching parties came into fashion as a result, where people stood around and counted their jaw movements until they got to 100, which could sometimes take as long as five minutes. That's the weirdest orgy I've ever heard of. <laughs> it's a munching party. Yeah. In 2011, Scientific America actually published a study done in China that proved that people eat 12% less if they chew their food more intently. So Fletcher was perhaps onto something. And indeed, if you look up quick weight loss secrets, chewing your food more is often one of those tips. I was actually going to bring that up, that him doing this, I've actually, I actually have heard that in recent times. Me too. Is that supposed to be true or is it? It is true. Of, yeah. It, yeah. I mean, yeah. Whether or not it's healthy. Yeah. It so if I was just to sit here and just go, would that, am I losing weight right now? No, no, no. You have to chew your food a hundred times each before you swallow it. Yeah. But like, what if I don't have food? Well, that's, it's not so much about the movement as it is oh. about, it's taking you longer to eat it. So you'll, your body would feel hungry before it would normally feel hungry, right? Oh. It takes like 30 minutes, I think, for your brain to get the signal that your stomach is full. Oh, wait, really? Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> I thought, I thought it happened like instantaneous. No. So, which is why, like, if you eat everything really quickly, you can eat way more than if you eat slowly because oh, your body doesn't that, pick up on those signals. That enough. makes sense because I've been trying to eat more protein because I don't eat plasma. So I've been I've been eating these protein bars, not as a, like a health thing, just like I have a hard time getting enough protein mm -hmm. in my in my body. So I've just been eating those. And I found if I eat the because I want to eat the protein bar and some toast and stuff. Mm -hmm. And if I eat the protein bar like first and then I wait to eat the toast, mm -hmm. then I'm like too full right so yeah makes sense yeah it's also around the 1900s that we start getting more and more diets and they come out in rapid succession this coinciding with the most dramatic change in attitudes towards diet and weight occurring right after world war one this was a time of major change and the world was ready for a new kind of music clothing and moral decorum think of the roaring 20s the jazz life and the ignoring of prohibition laws in the 20s, flapper dresses became the fashion of the day with fabrics so silky that you couldn't wear them with the typical stiff corsets. Corsets? Corsets. Corsets. The ideal figure for women was boyish, straight, and very slim. Curves were out. And in their desire to achieve this look, suddenly Americans were buying their first bathroom scales, as well as vitamins, fat massages, thyroid extracts, sweat baths, chewing gums, and pills with diet drugs in them. Magazines that were able to reach mass audience were covered with ads for weight loss cures like soaps, body brushes, and electric currents that claimed to take away the body fat. I'm guessing you would have bought those soaps and brushes. At one point in my life, yes. 
Some of the pills, gums, and patented medicines were actually dangerous and contained iodine, arsenic, and other poisons, which wasn't much different from what was happening in the 1800s. And then I've also read that in the 70s, diet pills were laced with uh, methamphetamine. Methamphetamines? Oh, really? Yeah. So and they were like, that's fine. Just take some meth. That's great. <laughs> and they were being prescribed. Anywho. You'll, you'll lose more than your uh, weight. Yeah. you lose your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also during this era, hundreds of thousands of pills made of dinatriptanil were sold. Dinatriptanil did speed up one's metabolic rate, but it also caused you to go blind or could kill you. Cigarettes also became fashionable and were marketed as health aids that benefited digestion and helped you stay slim. So people were like, smoke cigarettes, they're good for you. However, the biggest influence on the ideal of slimness was the Hollywood movie industry, which began first making silent movies in 1895. By the early 20s, Americans were flocking to see those silent films starring Greta Garbo, Clara Bow, and Rudolph Valentino. These films made it all the way out into rural America, showing them the glamorized ideal body. And that's a trend that has continued today. As slimness became the ideal, it also became perfectly acceptable to say all kinds of horrible things about overweight people. Dr. Leonard Williams, author of a 1926 diet book, said that being fat was about self-indulgence, greed, and gormandizing. I don't know what the fuck that means. Dr. Williams accused American women of overfeeding their husbands to make them more docile. That's what I'm doing to you. <laughs> so, so this is why I'm fat now. You are not fat. So... <laughs> This where this is where you say my fa- famous catchphrase, "Gotcha, bitch." That's my catchphrase. I thought I'm I... the one that no, because oh well, I guess I've uh, you've co-opted. I've co-opted it, it now. Okay, so, say say "Gotcha, bitch." No, no, you say it loudly. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha, bitch. There you go. Jeez, that that was a whole uh, marathon we just did there. Maybe well, that would help me help me lose weight. That marathon we just maybe. ran. William Fitch, author of Diototherapy, wrote that fat people turn their stomachs into an overfed boiler that burns out. Amelia Somerville, author of the 1916 book called Why Be Fat, wrote, I would die sooner than be fat. So, people hate fat people. The American Medical Association did speak out against extreme dieting, but it wasn't as positive as you may hope. Doctors warned dieters that these cures would jeopardize a woman's ability to conceive a child and that women should not follow beauty ideals that would endanger motherhood, because that's all that matters. One doctor, Dr. Morris Feesbang, wrote in 1929 the following about dangerous dieting, quote, Malnourished women are deeply unattractive and they threaten male and female norms, encouraging the rise of lesbianism. Female fat is necessary for societal survival. Wait, wait, wait. Sorry. If you're, if you, if you are fat, you are going to be a lesbian. No. If you're skinny, you're going to become a lesbian. Oh, sorry, sorry. I misheard you. Uh, okay. And he's saying, be female fat is necessary for uh, societal survival because yeah, I don't know. Otherwise, you just are uh, going to be a, a gay. That's true. And then he said, this nonsense is the result of feminism, i.e., dieting is the result of feminism. So, like, very confused, man. Yeah. Writing in the same year, Dr. Harlow Brooks agreed, quote, A woman who is naturally sweet-tempered, good-natured, and competent transforms into a different person on a diet. She becomes petulant, unreasonable, and hard to get along with, and might even end up as a lesbian. <laughs> ah! <laughs> yeah, that's, that would be the worst thing to happen. This is so horrible. I, just, I like, that. those two quotes, I'm just like, Fuck. (laughs) I don't even have words. Anyways, in the 1930s, we saw the rise of the alkaline diet, where one divides their foods into alkaline, acid, or neutral. 
The idea was that you shouldn't combine acidic and alkaline foods because your body is unable to digest them completely if you do. There's nothing scientific to these claims, but this diet is a forerunner to a number of diets today, including the Beverly Hills diet, acid ash diet, and body pH. I've never heard of those. Another diet from the 30s is the Hollywood grapefruit diet, a forerunner to the exact same diet that surged in the 70s. It had people eating half a grapefruit, an egg, and one Melba toast for breakfast, six slices of cucumber for lunch, and half a grapefruit and two eggs, and for dinner, lettuce and one tomato slice. So basically anorexia. I would uh, just wish to be dead. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, you would be, uh, like that one doctor said, what did he say? You would be uh, petulant, unreasonable, and hard to get along with. It's true. Hell, I'm that now. (laughs) Diets continued to pop up over the years based on what was considered the ideal body type at the time. The 50s saw a more curvy body on women, although they were still not allowed to be fat, just big boobed. Mm. Even God did not approve of fat in the 50s. Charles Shedd, a preacher who lost 100 pounds, wrote, We fatties are the only people Uh on earth who can weigh our sin. His 1957 book was entitled Pray Your Weight Away. Uh Deborah Pierce wrote a similar book called I Prayed Myself Slim. (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) She said she figured that if gluttony were a sin, then God would help me overcome it. Pierce lost enough weight to become a fashionable model. From the 1950s onwards, the diet industry gets wild, with a new weight loss secret coming out almost every year. There was the Sleeping Beauty diet, where you could take sleeping pills and end up not eating for a few days because you were in a basic coma because you were asleep for so long. Oh, man. Uh, Elvis actually tried that diet. Oh, yeah. Because uh, his uh, his peanut butter uh, sandwich diet wasn't working. I guess ever, not. Do you, do you know what I'm I talking do, about? I do, yeah. Yeah. There was the drinking man's diet where you kept carbs below 60 grams, filled up on meat, and to top it all off, you had your favorite martini. And if you wanted, you could even have a two martini lunch. Ooh. In 1962, a housewife in Queens formed a weekly group with friends to support each other in weight loss. This became the basis for Weight Watchers. In 1960, Overeaters Anonymous was formed, and in the 70s, we saw the Diet Clinic Plan and Nutrisystem. In 1972, Dr. Atkins published his book about low-carb diets and claimed that people should be on a low-carb diet for their entire life, which I thought was interesting because Atkins was super popular in, like, the early 2000s, but mm-hmm. it's it's kind of like these diets are, like, fashion. They come around in yeah. a newish form every 30 years or so. Right, that makes sense. Yeah. And also, like, you know, yummy food is part of, what makes life worth living absolutely <laughs> so to just be on a low carb diet your entire life i know well, i did atkins oh, yeah but you're not on, on it now That's because true. it's not sustainable absolutely also in the 70s the american psychiatric association recognized bulimia and anorexia as mental diseases in the 80s evidence came out that dieting itself could cause people to be overweight because it may permanently lower the body's metabolic rate which is true as well as the understanding that the vast majority of people gain back any weight that they lose on diets, along with some extra pounds. It was also in this decade that people turned to physical fitness to control their weight, and you have the explosion of aerobic workouts. Low-fat diets also became popular after the National Institutes of Health declared that fat is bad for people. Hundreds of low-fat versions of food products appeared in the grocery stores. The Fit for Life and Beverly Hills diet became popular in the 80s. Perhaps the most dramatic moment of the decade in terms of dieting came on November 15th, 1988, when Oprah Winfrey pulled a wagon full of 67 pounds of fat across a stage on her TV show to represent the weight she had lost on a liquid protein fast. She was wearing size 10 jeans, but later said they did not fit by the following week when she started to eat real food again. 
In the 90s, the United States created the food pyramid, and the FDA required that all packaged foods must have a label that provides nutritional information. What, sorry, when was that? The 90s. Really? That's... Well, and the food pyramid is so flawed. No, like, but, but but like, are you talking about on the back when it says how much sugar, how oh, much protein, yeah. all that? That's what you're talking about? Yeah. That only came about in the 90s? Apparently. That's crazy. I know. <laughs> the most popular diets in the 90s were two extremes of high protein and high carbohydrate. Atkins diet came back as well as a diet called the zone diet, which was a compromise between Atkins and high carb, stating that you needed to stay in the zone at every meal within a 40-30-30 ratio of carbs, fat, and protein. The most recent government numbers for Americans show that 33% of the adult population is overweight and 36% are obese. Now that number I have a problem with because as we get into next week, you'll see how overnight millions of people went from being um overweight to obese because the doctors were like we're just going to change the criteria on the bmi but i'll talk about that next week anyways uh so i have a bit of a problem with that bmi is super flawed and super racist what (laughs) yeah again i'll get into that okay i'm like i I don't think this is a race thing (laughs) oh it is okay um yeah but the fact remains that despite all of these diets and i haven't even talked about half of them um people are still getting bigger and even though overweight people are the majority, discrimination against us at work, school, and during social occasions is astronomical. A Yale University study published in the International Journal of Obesity in 2008 found that this kind of discrimination is as prevalent as racial discrimination. Another study found that an overweight person earns about $100,000 less over a lifetime than normal-weighted people with similar qualifications. In 2013, the American Medical Association recognized obesity as a disease. This opened the door for some insurance providers to pay for bariatric surgeries. Famous diets from the 2000s include South Beach diet, the Mediterranean diet, as well as paleo and keto. So I had to stop doing research at that time because I started to get really overwhelmed because Mm. it was quite triggering for me to be reading about all these diets because I have gone on almost all of them. So my research kind of just stops abruptly. Because I was like, can't do this. Going to start crying. I'm done. That's Um, fair. (laughs) Yeah. So anyways, um, these are all diets, like I said, that I have tried and failed at. And it's hard for me to see how how much the diet industry has fucked with everyone in their effort to make money and cash on the next fad diet. And no one ever talks about how diets do not work, which is what I'd like to tackle next week. So Dakota, what do you think? Yeah, I thought that was a super... I I felt like we were having a really engaged conversation. We really were. It was really good. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, uh, fuck diet culture. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, I mean, I've seen how it affects you. Yeah. And, you know, that makes me sad that it it, it has, you know, had such a negative effect on your life, you know? Mm -hmm. So, but uh, overall, I was highly engaged. Good. Oh, you're not giving it a rating? No. Oh, we're waiting until next week. Yeah. Interesting. Why would I give this a rating? Oh, I don't know. Aren't they're they together? Like two, well, they're kind of like two different episodes. Okay, right? fine. I'll give this a this You don't a have to. Give it a rating. Give I'll a give rating. this a rating. Thank you. Of 8.4. Eight. That's a good one. 8.4 sexually promiscuous sex workers yeah. out of 10. Okay. I like it. So that's all we have for this week. Come back next week to hear about how the diet industry is fucked up. We'd like to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to hang out with us. If you enjoyed listening to what we had to say, please download our podcast from wherever you get your podcasts, leave a review, or tell your friends about us because indie podcasts really do grow through word of mouth. 
You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, The Reluctant Historian. I'm just, I'm ready to go lay down. Okay. So get out of my, get out of my house, listeners. <laughs> so we'll see you next week. Same time, same place. No, seriously, get the fuck out. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.